everybody. Welcome back. This is Larry Wilmore. You're listening to Black on the Air. Nice to have you here. It is. I now record these episodes on Saturday. Today is Saturday, October 3rd, when I'm recording this, just to give you a little context for when you may be listening to it, because there's a lot of shit going on in the world, you guys, and it is happening fast. And I, I think I may have mentioned for now, and I am recording on Saturdays because I'm doing my show during the week now. And if you haven't seen it, you got to watch it, guys. Wilmore, uh, we drop it on Friday nights on Peacock. So make sure you download Peacock, the new streaming service from NBC Universal, which is available on Roku now, by the way. You can get it on Roku, Apple TV, uh, I think the Amazon Fire Stick. For people in Canada, I know it's a little frustrating because it's not Peacock is not available in Canada yet. But I know that on YouTube in Canada, they are showing like compilations of the show and that sort of thing. And... Uh, this week's Wilmore, it's frustrating. Here's how we do Wilmore. We're, we're very limited. We have, we hardly have any budget on the show to do a, let's say, a full-scale, like, day-to-day show. We we wanted to get the show onto the air as quickly as possible. So, so we didn't have enough time to really, you know, do the type of show that you normally would in this situation where you have months. But we felt like we wanted, let's get on the air and let's do this in the best way we can. And people have been very creative and very resourceful, you know. But because of those limitations and because we're in COVID, what happens is we end up uh, shooting our interviews on Tuesday on my show. And I shoot my weigh-in on Thursday. And <laughs> a lot of shit happens in the world between when I shoot that on Thursday and when people see it on Friday when it drops, let alone if they watch it on Saturday. And in this case... Of course, we get the news that Trump has come down with coronavirus, uh, as well as First Lady, Melania, and staff members. Hope Hicks was the first one, and now Chris Christie, we hear, has it. And there's all this uh, stuff going on, which, of course, I didn't have a chance to weigh in on it on my show. So when you see it, um, if you both listen to my podcast and watch my show, you'll know that is the reason why. Um, so. We try to keep up with things as much as we can on that show, but, you know, it's a bit limited. But, man, things are happening so fast. So thank God I have both that show and this podcast to kind of talk with you guys and talk about stuff that's going on. Today's show, we have Ari Berman, who uh senior editor over at Mother Jones, and we're going to talk about voter suppression and some of the things that are happening out there and what's going on. One of those issues I think we need to keep talking about. You know, I'm talking about it very quickly isn't enough. Voter suppression is one of the things... I'm very interested in, we need to talk about it. So I have a good conversation with him. But guys, what the fuck? Seriously, the president of the United States has COVID. I mean, and I appreciate, let me just say, I do appreciate the gallows humor of it all. I honestly do. I'm not engaging in it online. <laughs> Let's say, I won't say what I'm doing privately. I can't really engage in it online because I just, for me personally, I am in a high risk group, you know, <laughs> I'm a black man of a certain age who, if I got COVID, it would not be pretty. So I'm I'm just not going to put that energy out there wishing anything bad. And, you know, honestly, guys, I don't care for Donald Trump. I don't like his policies. I think as, you know, if you watch my show, you saw what I called him this week. But um, I do not wish that the president of the United States suffers or dies. I certainly don't wish that. I don't put that out there. But I will say this, you know, this is the unfortunate part about all this. This motherfucker brought a lot of this shit upon himself with his attitude. Let's be honest about that. I mean, the cavalier attitude that he has had just towards the basic science protocols that any leader should engage in just at the baseline, at the baseline to protect the citizens, you know, and to put any kind of energy out there that is going to compromise the ability of people to protect themselves. Your first major fucking job as president is to protect the citizens of this country. And the dereliction of duty in that, to me, if if there is such a thing as karma and those sorts of things, then that's probably it. And like I said, I'm not wishing anything on them and all that, but man, if ever you were tempting fate to come back and slap you in the ass, man. That is it. And even if it's not that, guys, even if he didn't have COVID, just the 
the whole uh, handling of this and his whole attitude towards this and the whole stinkiness towards just doing something as simple as wearing masks, you know, and I know you guys all agree with me and feel the same way, but the physical manifestation or ramifications of it is just so vivid right now that it just really makes me angry all over again. And you know what? You just got to be careful what kind of shit you're putting out there. Sorry, but the the way that they undermined uh, Dr. Fauci and, you know, some of the stupid comments about woke science. Science isn't woke. Science is just alive. And science doesn't give a fuck. It's just science, you know. This whole trying to make us take sides about blaming China and all this stuff while ignoring all these things. I don't even have a word for it. It's not even, you can't even say it's juvenile. It's just, uh, there's just no word. It's maybe sociopathic and psychopathic at the same time. Those are the only things I can think of. So having said that, I hope the president recovers and gets better. I do, you know. It's going to throw this election, though, the next few weeks. Whew, guys, every hour, shit is just going to be different than the hour before. Now is the time more than ever to stay on your toes. Be really safe out there, not just physically, but also psychologically and emotionally. This is this is a tough time, guys. We're all going to have post-traumatic stress after 2020. We are all, this is kind of under-talked about right now, and I'm not even joking about this. We're all experiencing trauma right now with all of the people that, whether it's loved ones who have passed away, people who are very close to you, friends or that sort of thing, or even if you're just observing the sheer number of Americans, over 200,000 that have passed away, that's traumatic. That is trauma that we are experiencing in real time and we're experiencing it as a group. And we have not had a chance to even process or deal with that trauma yet. And I'm afraid that a lot of the expressions of that trauma is going to come out in this fucked up election that's coming up when we may not even know who's going to be president for a couple of weeks. And I'm very concerned about that. So leading up to that, man, I'm thinking about all you guys out there. Take care of yourselves, guys. Do whatever you can just to be in a good state of mind, good frame of mind. Vote early if you can. Take care of yourselves. Love the people in your life. You know, uh, tell them that you love them. Express love to them. Uh, positive expressions are healing. They are very healing right now. And it may not feel like it at the time, but believe me, um, because there's going to be a lot of this vile and negativity coming out, you know? So I just want to put that out there. I do occasionally do self-help stuff for those of you that, that know, you know, all the different things that I do. And this area is something that I'm very passionate about. I've, people, you you do have to take care of yourself. Healing is a process that happens over time. It, you can't just accept something in your head. Uh, something has to be understood in your body and in your in your physicality as well as in your psychology. And part of doing that is is telling yourself something or expressing something. Expressions of love, expressions of positivity, expressions of laughter. Laughter is very healing too. You we have to engage in this type of thing, because so much negativity and stuff is happening right now, you know, and so much of it's coming from the person who's supposed to be protecting us. So that's what I'm feeling right now. That's what I want to put out in the world. I don't want to put out in the world uh, the negative about this person. I'll put it out about his policies and about him, but I'm not going to put it out about this disease where there's too much, too much trauma associated with that. And I don't wish that. Privately, I will always make gallows humor. <laughs> so, so don't try to say Larry Wilbur texted to his friend. Yes, because privately I will make these jokes, you know, but I'm not putting it out on the world publicly. Absolutely not. I'm telling you right now that I'm that is where my hypocrisy lies. <laughs> so, so so I'm sharing that with you of what I choose to share with the world and what I will choose to share with friends, you know. Uh, so that's it. Right now it looks like my Lakers. In happy news are on their way to championship. Very happy about that. But right now, I want you guys to enjoy this conversation with Ari Berman. We're going to talk about voter suppression, what to look out for, uh, some of the shenanigans, what's happening, and what you can do to make sure your vote counts. Okay, we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. What does your next drive look like? Running between meetings? Maybe a getaway with the whole family? 
Either way, the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life with premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Okay, welcome back, uh, everybody. Uh, Very special guest today. Uh, He is the senior senior reporter for Mother Jones, uh, which if you're not reading Mother Jones, man, they're always on the pulse of all this stuff. They always seem to be a bit ahead of everybody. And also, uh, a couple years ago, the author of a really cool book, Give Us the Ballot, The Modern Struggle for Voting Rights in America, Ari Berman. Ari, welcome to Black on the Air. How you doing, man? Hey, Larry. Thanks for having me. It's great to be on. Yeah, it's nice to have you. Um, I know you stay uh, enmeshed in all these issues as much as, as anything. Now, I want to tell everybody, I'm recording this on a Saturday, and there's breaking news like every second. So let's just talk about what we know right now. But just so people have a sense of this, it's almost like noon Pacific time, three o'clock Eastern time, approximately, just so people have a sense of when we're recording this. So I don't know when you're going to listen to this. At this point, it's fuzzy, the information about Trump and COVID. Like, we're not sure when he got it, uh, when he reported it. What do you know so far, Ari? What have you heard? I've heard the same thing you've heard, Larry. I mean, I'm checking my phone every five minutes, seeing who's who's the next major Republican that has COVID. I mean, it's crazy. You'd think this would be like the second week of the pandemic, not the seventh month of it. And this is happening. So, I mean, as we're talking, I mean, the president has COVID. Three Republican senators have COVID. The president's campaign. Chris Christie has COVID. The campaign manager has COVID. Kellyanne uh, Conway. Kellyanne Conway has COVID. I mean, there's at least like, there's more than half a dozen members. The RNC chair has COVID. There's at least like half a dozen members of the inner circle. Yeah. Or more that have COVID. And I'm sure by the time people are starting to listen to this, it's going to be higher. Yeah. And they're trying to determine, this may be determined by the time people listen to it, but as of now, whether he had it 72 hours before they were talking about it this morning or what everyone thought was 36, which, by the way, if he had, if he had had a, an extra day or so, that's huge news. I mean, he would have put so many people at risk that he would have he would have come down with it like the morning after the debate. There's a lot of questions. I mean, we, we yeah. already know you can't really trust anything that comes out of this White House. So that's already right. been pretty well established. But he, we, we don't think he took a test before the debate. I mean, that's what people are saying. They, they think he arrived yeah. too late to take a test. So he put. He didn't. He didn't there. Chris Wallace said it was the honor system. And I'm sure he was like shitting in his, in his chair there. Like, we know how he does with honor systems. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, he didn't get tested at the debate. So, obviously, he put the possible other president at risk of getting it. Yes, uh, exactly. The likely next president at risk of getting it. And then his family put a lot of people at risk by not wearing masks during the Absolutely. debate. Absolutely. Then he put all of his top fundraisers at risk by going to New Jersey when he may have already known or suspected that he had it the next yeah. day. Uh, and so, and then we heard he has very mild symptoms. He's mm-hmm. doing fine. Now we're hearing from his chief of staff that he has very concerning symptoms yeah. that the next 48 hours could be critical. So, I mean, there are a lot of very contradictory information coming out right now. Exactly. So that's what I mean. I don't know when you're listening to this, but shit changes so fast. So that's why I wanted people to know when we're talking about this. You know, these few days are a, it's kind of a metaphor for the way Trump has been presidenting like all along and not just the handling of this COVID crisis, but all along, don't you think? For sure. I mean, I think the last few days just encapsulate the entire Trump presidency. I mean, the recklessness with which he's acted, uh, the fact that he's put Mm -hmm. so many people in danger, and just that he basically turned the flouting of COVID, the flouting Mm -hmm. of all the health protocols, into like his entire campaign. (laughs) I mean, his entire campaign was basically like, I'm not wearing a mask. I'm not social distancing. And then he would get Uh, cheers. Yeah. And then then, like, like that... It's like incredible. Like not, he wasn't just ignoring it. Like it was the central organizing principle of his campaign. Yeah, was to basically shit on Dr. Fauci, yeah. all of his advisors, and relentlessly mock Joe Biden for being responsible. It just totally encapsulates the way he's acted throughout his entire presidency, and and of course now it's caught up with him. It was so bizarre too. Just remembering back, like it seemed like 
he was jealous of Fauci at first. That's what it seemed like, that Fauci was getting this attention. But then it was so bizarre how the right-wing media started to pick on Fauci, like he was some left-wing shill or some sleeper agent for the Democratic Party, you know, in there as part of the deep state to undermine the president, which the president then, as as their uh, ping-pong game is usually played, then picks that up and plays along with it as well, acting in the same way and undermining arguably the most valuable person of that team. It was crazy. Of course. And I mean, his whole strategy for coronavirus makes no sense politically. Because mm-hmm. he, he was basically arguing, if I acknowledge it, if I push for testing, if I talk about it, all of those things, the numbers will go up and I'll look bad. In yeah. fact, if he had just done all of those things, if he had talked about how serious it was, uh, pushed for rapid testing and said, this is going to get really bad, but we have an answer to it, that would have been much more effective politically mm-hmm. than basically trying to cover the entire thing up. And so like the whole thing from the, the beginning to the end has been a disaster. Like he got a very small bump when like everyone was getting a bump, but like, mm-hmm. you know, Andrew Cuomo had like 80% approval ratings and like Trump never got above 50. And then now it's, it's dragged his entire presidency down. And I, I don't want to speculate what's going to happen politically as a result of this, but I think the public so far seems to be believing that Trump is to blame in a lot of ways for getting this because of his reckless behavior. It almost seems to me that people would turn against Trump not so much that 200,000 Americans died, but that he got it now, you know, and is like a super spreader himself. Like, that's the thing that's going to finally turn people like off to Trump, ironically, you know. And how, I mean, how screwed up is it that 200,000 people have died and now oh, we're only terrible. finally starting to pay attention to it? It's terrible. I mean, I, I don't know if you have an answer for this, but I don't have an answer for the fact that we've just moved past this so quickly. Uh-huh. Right. And like, 3,000 people died on 9-11 and we've never stopped talking about it. And I understand that was a dramatic attack. It makes sense that it traumatized the nation, Mm -hmm. but 200,000 people. I mean, that's shocking. So shocking. And, and then, you know, Trump's talking about big 10 football coming back the debate. I mean, so like only now does it seem like we're finally like wrestling with this is what it actually means. And it's only because the president got it. The Republicans tried to tear uh, Obama and Hillary, you know, a new asshole several times for three people that died in Benghazi. That was over three yeah. people, you know, which was terrible. Nobody wants to see that, but that was three. And they're silent about 208,000. I guess my head is just shaking today. And even when I think about Melania, you know, his wife, like I haven't even heard that much about her. It's the fucking first lady of the nation has COVID, you know? <laughs> it's like, you get, you did that, Mr. President. Jesus Christ. You know, the way it's just like arbitrarily has been spread around his group and everything is just, I, it's just unprecedented to me, you know? I'm just surprised it took this long because it, it seemed like they were being so, they just were flouting all the protocols for such a long time. And it's amazing it took this long for them to all test positive when they haven't been wearing masks for the longest time. They've been doing these indoor rallies forever. Yeah. Uh, he's been, hasn't been social distancing. I mean, it's just, it's it's incredible that it happened now. And of course, it seems like a lot of it seemed to have coincided with this announcement of Amy Coney Barrett for the Supreme Court, which just, it's just like a perfect metaphor for the Republican Party. I mean, like Absolutely. Their, their illegitimate nominee, nominated right after Ruth Bader Ginsburg has been buried. Uh, and that becomes a super spreader event for COVID, not to mention American democracy. Yeah, exactly. And their breathless rush to do that, like hours after the coffin had been closed, basically, you know, absolutely. That that's how this thing spread. It's just, I mean, if the universe, like I was telling people, I was like, I don't know, universe. 2020 is pretty fucked up. I don't know what you're doing. But now I'm like, okay, universe, maybe there's a plan here all along, you know? Maybe. Did you uh, see the meme? Did you see the meme of Ruth about, Bader Ginsburg? Yes, I did. I did. <laughs> Dressed as the, the lady yeah. from Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's tell Trump all, it was me. It's all gallows humor. Uh, but part of it, here's the thing. 
I don't like, like, I would never wish that Trump dies or this type of stuff. I don't want people to be sick. But this motherfucker brought a lot of this upon himself by this cavalier attitude. And when I say brought a lot of it, not, you know, partly the disease, but absolutely the the type of reaction that people are having. It's not because they don't like Trump. It's because how fucking cavalier he was about this and the way that he flaunted this and just was so irresponsible. He should have gone overboard with trying to protect people's lives and everything instead of making this thing some cowboy thing. Not even cowboy. It doesn't even make sense from that standpoint, you know? It doesn't make sense. And that's the thing is, yeah, I mean, we all want the president to get better. But if I have sympathy for anyone, I have sympathy for the 200,000 people that died and their families. And a lot of them died because of Trump's actions, because of his unwillingness to be honest with the American people because of his total unwillingness to ever get this under control, to commit to testing and masks and all the very basic things. And I mean, we, we needed to tell people to do like a few really, really basic things, like yeah. wear a mask, social distance, wash your hands. Like this is so fucking basic. Like if yeah. we can't do those things as a country, like what has happened to us? Like, yeah. it, this is the same country that somehow won World War II, and now we can't even, like, put a mask on? I mean, it's truly astonishing what's happened to this country. It's crazy how, you know, he undermines just the basic science and that sort of thing. Uh, uh, you've written, I think, an article about how Trump is kind of undermining our Constitution to stay in power and talking about uh, part of it is what he's been doing at the post office. You want, uh, what, what, is the, what is the thing that Trump has done himself to do that? Well, I think there's a through line that encompasses the entire Trump presidency, mm-hmm. which basically from the very beginning, he has undermined core democratic processes mm-hmm. to try to stay in power, whether it was, you know, lying about widespread voter fraud after he, even after he won, he was basically right. saying that the, that the system was cheated, even though he seemed to be the beneficiary of yeah, the cheating. He, tried to claim, yeah. <laughs> he wanted 3 million extra votes yeah. from, uh, uh, like these were illegal votes or something, you know, it was so ridiculous. Yeah. I've never seen a candidate win a race and then can claim that they were cheated. Yeah. Usually it's the winner. opposite. Yeah. yeah. So, and then, and then, I mean, then of course, just everything that's happened after this, the, the relentless campaign um, to make it harder to vote, his attempts to try to manipulate the census. Um, but the post office thing was just so revealing because mm-hmm. everyone loves the post office. I mean, right. it's like, it's a it's a very basic American institution that everyone relies on. And whether you have like a five-year-old daughter like I do who loves getting the mail, or you have yeah. like an elderly grandmother that loves getting the mail, like everyone likes getting the mail. And mm-hmm. So, I mean, he did two things. First off, he put Louis DeJoy, um, this huge Republican mega donor who basically got the job because he had given so much money to Trump and the Republican Party. He mm-hmm. put him in charge of the post office when he was totally not qualified mm-hmm. to run it. I mean, there's and, a, there and, were and like- what had he done before? What, what do we know about Louis DeJoy? Where, where did he come from? He he's well. He was born in New York, but he was he lived in North Carolina. He ran a logistics company, so they basically okay. said the he dealt he dealt with logistics, so therefore he understands the post office. Okay, but but that he didn't understand the post office at all. Apparently, there was fifty different names that they considered for postmaster general, and he wasn't mm-hmm. on there. So somehow he was like, so they hired the 53rd guy on the list and disregarded 52 people, both uh, probably a lot of whom were conservative Republicans right. who actually knew something about the post office. And then, so DeJoy gets in there and he has this whole plan to change how it works, basically to try to privatize it and mm-hmm. to undermine it. So he wants to get rid of overtime and he wants to um, close all of these post office hours and he wants to remove all of these high speed mail sorting machines that help you process the mail more quickly. And he, he fires and displaces all of these top executives. And he tells the the mail carriers don't make extra, extra trips to deliver the mail and you need to leave on time, whether or not the mail is ready, basically, mm-hmm. um, which would be like you, you saying, Larry, you need to start your show, even if you have no material, right? Like, right. Be, Which be no I have show. been accused of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of Believe the basic me. thing. Like, you need to write your jokes before you you get out there. And yeah, so, pretty much um, how it works. Yeah. So, so he did all these things, and of course, that coincided with people voting by mail in record numbers because of the mm-hmm. pandemic. Because of the pandemic, and so right. all of these cha- changes 
were slowing mail down, which then were leading to big worries that ballots were going to be slowed down. And then, of course, right. Trump came out and basically said the post office needed $25 billion. And Trump basically says, I'm not giving them the money because if I don't give them the money, then then states can't expand vote by mail. Yeah, and, and so he, like, he actually said He those, said that. Which is amazing to me that he, I mean- any court of law, it seems like he would be guilty of obstructing uh, an election, it seems like. Yeah. So people like me before Trump statement were trying to make that point. Like, hey, yeah. this is what's happening at the post office. It's all right. about obstructing the election. And then Trump just, of course, being as subtle as he is, just comes out and says it. Right. And then yeah. now everyone understands what's going on, that they are intentionally trying to delay the mail because right. they know that more Democrats are going to vote by mail than Republicans because they take coronavirus more seriously mm-hmm. than Republicans. And therefore, right. if we can delay the ballots, um, that means that we can throw out a lot of ballots because they arrive too late. So, and so the, the, the that feeling, was the plan. I just want to get clarity in this. So the feeling is that because most of the people voting for Trump aren't afraid of coronavirus because of like Trump signaling and all that and whatever their crazy does about that. So they don't have a problem going to vote. But a lot of people voting for Biden are more likely to stay home because they're taking this seriously. And so they probably would vote by mail or drop off ballot type of thing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, tr- and, and, and Trump and- knows this and so started acting that way or was told this or whatever. Yeah. And Trump starts acting that way. And the funny thing is, vote by mail had never really been a partisan thing before. Like if you look at the data from 2016 and 2018, Democrats and Republicans used vote by mail equally. I would argue that absentee ballots probably favorite Republicans because a lot of them are military. A lot of them are older people who, uh, you know, were in retirement places. So they had changed addresses and those type of things, you know. That was exactly the point I, I, I was yeah. going to make is that in swing states like Florida, Arizona, mm-hmm. Republicans were the ones who were pushing vote by mail because yeah. their voters were older. They were more rural. They couldn't get yeah. to polling places as easily. So this this only really shifted during the pandemic mm-hmm. um, when COVID was both hitting Democratic areas hardest mm-hmm. earlier on. And also Democrats were taking it more seriously. And they said, well, we don't want to wait in these long lines like we saw in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. where there were five polling places in Milwaukee instead of 180 polling places like there normally would be during their primary in April. And so they said, we're going to start voting by mail. And then once Trump basically saw that Democrats were voting by mail because they took COVID more seriously, all of the Republican messaging on vote by mail completely shifted. And even now, a lot of local Republicans are mad at Trump because of what, of what he's saying about mm-hmm. vote by mail, because they're actually still trying to get their people to vote by mail. And of course, Trump is voting by mail and <laughs> the Trump campaign is telling their supporters quietly vote by mail. And so, I mean, it, it, it's clear that Trump isn't opposed to vote by mail. He's just opposed to vote by mail when Democrats are doing it. Now, Trump has unsuccessfully tried to make the distinction because I understand there is a distinction between what we might say vote by mail where ballots are just mailed out and you have the option to send it back by mail as opposed to an absentee ballot that is actually called for. You know, you actually uh, request an absentee ballot. What What is besides the process of getting it? Is there any other distinction uh, between those two? No. I mean, that, that's really the only distinction is mm-hmm. whether or not you have to request the ballot, okay. how easy it should be to request it, or whether it's mailed to you. Okay. Um, in fact, the thing that Trump supp- opposes is the thing that works the best. I mean, actually mailing ballots to all registered voters mm-hmm. is what they do in vote-by-mail states, like mm-hmm. in Oregon, in Colorado, in Utah, and that actually works really well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's by far the best way to, re- to increase voter turnout through vote by mail is to make sure everyone gets a ballot because Mm -hmm. otherwise people slip through the cracks, right? Right. There's a certain number of people that won't figure out how to request a mail ballot Mm -hmm. or will request one and won't get them. Mm -hmm. So, and we've seen that throughout the primaries that people just didn't get ballots they requested because states weren't set up to deal with it. But in states that mail it to everyone, it's worked very well and people Mm -hmm. like it. And it's always funny to me when people say, well, vote by mail is this uh, democratic plot to steal elections. And I'm like, well, Utah is all vote by mail. And they mm-hmm. have a Republican governor, right. two Republican senators, a Republican state legislature voting for Donald Trump. So I'm like, if if vote by mail was a democratic conspiracy, why do so many Republicans in Utah like it so much? Yeah, it's just because Democrats want to use it a lot now. <laughs> That's why they say that. Yeah. Uh, it also seems that 
when they're automatically mailing you a ballot. I like that because if you don't get it, you know something's going on, like maybe you were purged, you know, or maybe they can't find you. And so there's a good indicator if like if you know you're supposed to have gotten a ballot a month ahead of time, you don't get one. That's a good warning sign, right? Yeah. For sure. And I mean, you have to have accurate registration rolls to do yeah. this quickly. I mean, to do this, to do this in a, in a good way. I mean, the, the best model is probably Oregon because they have mm-hmm. automatic voter registration. So you're automatically registered, meaning, meaning how, like how if, you, if you go to the DMV, for example, and get a driver's mm-hmm. license, you'll automatically be enrolled to okay. register to vote. Um, just in the same way that you're automatically enrolled in the selective service when you turn 18, if there was to be a draft. But they don't have, uh, they don't make a distinction of party and that sort of thing. Like you don't have then to you have to then, then they'll send you something and then you'll have to basically choose your party. Okay. Um, and then you can, you can opt out, you know, it's like getting a text message and you decide. You okay. So there's an later. initial enrollment and then it's like, did you mean to enroll? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, exactly. But the point right. is, but like, not to get too tactical, but like the difference between an opt out and an opt in system is huge, mm-hmm. right? Because there's oh, a certain completely. number of yeah. like because you go to the DMV and half the time they don't even ask you if like you want to register to vote because sure. the DMV is not always the most pleasant place to go. Right. Um, and then, but but not only that, I mean, like the fact that they're just assuming that people want to be registered. A certain amount of people that may have said, "Oh, I don't even I don't want to register." Once they're registered, they actually decide they do want to be registered. Mm-hmm. So I mean, so like Oregon has a great system in that it's very easy to register to vote. They have a, like 95% of people in Oregon are registered to vote. Mm-hmm. And then once everyone's registered, they mail all registered voters a ballot. So very few people slip through the cracks there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then not only that, but they have tons of drop boxes across the state. So like mm-hmm. if you're worried about the post office delays, right. you can drop your ballot off. And in fact, most people decide to drop their ballot off rather mm-hmm. than sending it back through the mail. Yeah, so like, I may do something like that, actually, because even I'm shaken by all this crap that's going on, you know. Yeah, I mean, so like if if we were to run like an election, like we were forensic scientists, as mm-hmm. opposed to people that wanted to obstruct people's right to vote, we would have said, what's Oregon doing? What's Utah doing? What's Colorado doing? All these states in which vote by mail works really well. And let's try to emulate that. Um, as opposed, as uh, what's actually happened is it's just been one insane falsehood after another um, from the president um, and his supporters trying to undermine vote by mail. And I mean, there are issues with vote by mail, but the issues with vote by mail is that people's ballots are thrown out Mm -hmm. for minor stuff. Like you don't have, you didn't get a witness signature on it in the states that you need to get it, or it didn't arrive in time, or you didn't sign your ballot. What is this witness signature? Like you have to get an affidavit or something, or you have to get a, a notary? I mean, what does that mean? Only so nine states do this, Uh, like in Wisconsin and in North Carolina, you have to basically find someone who will sign your ballot, essentially a test that you had a witness. Like you just played a round of golf or something and somebody (laughs) signs your scorecard. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they they don't have to like watch you fill it out, but they have to Uh attest that like you are who you are, basically. I think it's completely unnecessary. That's crazy. um, But it's it's one of the many... it's one of the many restrictions on mail voting that makes no sense, period, but particularly yeah. makes no sense during a pandemic. In Alabama, this is the worst, you need mm-hmm. to have two witnesses sign your ballot or you have to get a notarized affidavit. And then someone explaining, someone also has to explain why the fuck are you living in Alabama? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Sorry, Alabama. <laughs> for those unfortunate people in Alabama, including some of whom fought and almost died for the right to vote, um, it's pretty insulting that this is something that they have to deal with in the middle of a pandemic, that you're telling someone, if you, if you want to have your mail ballot counted, yeah. you have to find two witnesses or a notary somehow that's um, crazy. to do so. That's, that's my issue with mail voting, is that in a lot yeah. of places, we don't make it nearly as easy as it should be mm-hmm. to vote by mail. And some of this stuff has been there for a long time and uh-huh. people just didn't really pay attention to it because a lot of people didn't vote by mail. Or some of them were these explicit restrictions that Republicans have tried to put on mail voting to slow the entire process down. Mm-hmm. And so like what I'm telling people is, you know, if you're freaked out about mail voting, if you have concerns about mail voting, like you should just know that you can still vote in person and that mm-hmm. in 40 states there's early voting. Uh, and I think that what public health experts are saying is that 
voting early in person is sort of like going to the supermarket. Like there's mm -hmm. some level of risk associated with it, but it's a pretty low risk if it's done right. Um, and you can, so, you can fill out your ballot and then drop it off at the polling place, right? In most places yeah. or no? Yeah, in most, exactly. Even if there mm -hmm. aren't drop boxes for mail voting, you can still right. drop it off at the poll. So yeah, there's, there's always some sort of in-person option for mail voting, whether it's mm -hmm. dropping it off at the polls or dropping it off at drop boxes. Do we know, is there any data about participation rates with uh, mail-in states versus non-mail-in states? Like are the participation rates higher or about the same? Because many times, as we know, participation rates could be just frustratingly low in many elections. The, I, I think in, in states that do it well, the rates are higher. And the, mm -hmm. the best model is in Colorado, where they have a fusion system where they do both. Mm -hmm. So everyone gets mailed a ballot but they also make it easy to vote in person if you decide to vote in person. Um, mm -hmm. For example, if you decide to vote in person in Colorado, you can register and vote at the polls on the same day. So they have election day registration. So policies oh, wow. like that wow. increase yeah, registration. Amazing. So like the, the, the best data I've seen on increased participation comes from Colorado. And I think it comes from the fact that they've made it really easy to vote in person and really easy to vote by mail. And if you do both of those things successfully, Basically, you're giving people as many options as possible. And then, then that starts to increase participation and also it increases participation among young people and kind of low propensity voters that might not decide to vote because they think it's too difficult. Mm -hmm. But then they realize, actually, it's pretty simple and mm -hmm. they, they decide to turn out in higher numbers. Are we going to see a big problem with college students this year? Because college students always sometimes are in a quandary because they're in a different state going to college many times and they have their home address. But now they're at, I don't know, maybe a lot of them are at home, but who knows if they're registered, you know, those types of things. What are, do you know of some of the issues with that kind of age group? Because we're always frustrated with the voter turnout many times in that, in that uh, 18 to 24, let's call it. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. And that's something that I'm concerned about and mm -hmm. people who organize college students are concerned about. Because normally if they're at their their dorms at their school, you can mm -hmm. find them really easily. Like okay. you can do you can do big voter registration drives on campus, right? Mm -hmm. And you can do like voter mobilization drives on campus. And you can a lot of campuses even have polling places on mm -hmm. campus. So like it's easy to do it when they're there. When they're not there, it's more complicated. Like you have to explain to them, especially if they're going to vote by mail, like you have to explain to them, here's how to request a mail ballot, which if you've never voted by mail before, it's mm -hmm. not the simplest process if you're a first time voter. Okay. Then you have to tell them, make sure you vote where you're registered, right? Like that seems like right. a very basic thing. But like if you're registered in, if you're in Wisconsin, you're registered in Madison and you're back home in Oshkosh, you have to vote in Madison. Yeah. And so like people need to know that. Um, and, and then not to mention, like you have to see like what's going on with their lives. Like it's, they're all dispersed. So you have to, you don't know where they at, where they're at right now. Um, yeah. So it's a big organizing challenge for sure. And it's like the amount of texting <laughs> and emailing and Snapchatting and TikToking and all these things that I'm now too old for um, that's going yeah. on right now yeah. um, is that's how they're reaching them. You know, they're like this group, Next Gen America, they're putting campaign ads in the video game Animal Crossing, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, that's, that's like how they're reaching that's people funny. now, like, yeah. um, which I didn't even know what that was until someone explained it to me. Yeah. I'd heard about it. That's funny. Um, what are the ways in which, uh, you know, how they got at the Voting Rights Act a couple of years ago? What are the ways that, uh, are, like, are some of the states using vote-in mailing and the absence of the Voting Rights Act to kind of disenfranchise people? Uh, are there extra ways that states can get away with certain things now that maybe they couldn't before? Anything in that Venn diagram? For sure. I mean, we're seeing a, a lot of that. I mean, we just got a really good example of that this week from Texas. Okay. So what they did in Texas is they just decided to shut down all of these places where you could drop your mail ballot off. Wow. So, And why? What like, was the reason for it? So let me just explain to you how it worked before. Yes. So basically, so first off, voting by mail in Texas is already really difficult because Texas okay. is one of only a few states where basically... They're, they're saying you can't use COVID as an excuse to vote by mail. What? So, wait a second. Yeah. So like, so well, like, wait a second. But, yeah. You can't use the fucking president of the United States as, as COVID. You can't use COVID as an excuse? So this is what they do in Texas. They said 
if you're over 65, you can vote by mail for any reason. But if you're under 65, you can't cite fear of contracting COVID as a reason to vote by mail because the Republican attorney general there said it was an emotional condition, not a physical condition. Oh my God, this is the fucking shit that is out there right now. That is it's, crazy. It's, it's astonishing. It's astonishing. So so anyway, and, and of course, the reason they're doing that is because people over 65 in Texas are much more likely to be white and Republicans. Right. And people right. under 65, particularly in a state like Texas, just sure. like California, are much more likely to be people of color and Democrats. I mean, right. the, 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 under, the under 18 in population in Texas is already majority non-white. So right. like if that electorate registers and votes, Texas is not going to be a white Republican state for much longer. They're not so going like, to be able to so, keep Austin weird for much longer. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> they've they've intentionally they've so they've already made it really hard to vote by mail. So mm-hmm. basically, the people that are voting by mail are elderly people and and people that are disabled or have other reasons why they need to vote by mail. So then right. they said for that group, they were going to try to make it easy for them to drop off ballots because people are concerned about the post office. They were able to drop their ballots off, like in mm-hmm. in Harris County, Texas. Okay. which is the biggest county in Texas, huge, larger than Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. They they were going to have 12 different places to drop your ballot off. And the governor of Texas, basically two weeks before early voting was set to begin, said every county in Texas can only have one drop box, one wow. place to drop your ballot off. That means Harris County, Texas, which has 5 million people, is 1,700 square miles, larger than the size of Rhode Island, has one place where you can drop your mail ballot off. And when did they make this decision? October 1st. That's crazy. Like, that's that's so, like, obviously uh, so transparent. So transparent. And I mean, it's one of those things where... There is a county in Texas with 149 people, Loving uh-huh. County, Texas. So Loving County, Texas, which has 149 people, will have the same number of drop boxes as Harris County, Texas, which has 5 million people. And of course, the larger counties in Texas are much more democratic Absolutely. and have many more people of color than the small rural white counties in Texas. So like, that's the kind of thing. If Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, had wanted to do that, before the Supreme Court had gutted the Voting Rights Act, he would have had to get federal approval exactly. to do this. Right. Now, of course, Trump's Justice Department wouldn't have interfered, but like any rational administration would have said, no way you, you can't do this. You can't do it three weeks before the election, Absolutely number one. Not. But number yeah. two, you've done it in such a clearly discriminatory way where it's falling by far the hardest on voters of color who live in these big urban counties where now they have to travel potentially an hour and a half or more to drop their ballot off. So that's the kind of thing. And, and by the way, Texas and other states with a history of discrimination, they closed 1,600 polling places after the Supreme Court weakened the Voting Rights Act. So like John Roberts and the conservative majority are saying, racism is a thing of the past. States aren't <laughs> discriminating anymore. Right. <laughs> and Texas is basically like, hold my beer, you know, Here's all the ways we're going to make it difficult to vote. We're, Texas alone closed 750 polling places. 750. What do they give as justification for closing these polling places? They'll say like they weren't needed or um, there were better places to put them or they didn't comply with the Americans for Disability Act. They didn't have the required ramp or something like that. Um The amazing thing about what Texas did is 70% of the polling places they closed were in the 50 counties in the state with the fastest growth of black and Latino residents. So they're basically basically closing polling places in all of these areas with fast-growing voters of color to try to keep white Republicans in power. So like, point is, if Texas wanted to close one- Gerrymandering isn't enough. Exactly. They're basically like Mm -hmm. gerrymandering the polling place. Um, Like if- if Texas wanted to close one polling place mm-hmm. before the Supreme Court weakened the Voting Rights Act, they had to get approval for that. Right. Now they closed 750 polling places and there was no process they had to go through. They just closed them. And then the only thing you can try to do is sue after the fact, which sometimes right. you're doesn't successful. Yeah. Doesn't help the vote. And not only that, but look at the courts you're now litigating in. So you're basically saying the 200 people that Trump have appointed to the federal courts 
and the five to six people that are going to be on the Supreme Ugh. Court who are Republican appointees, they're the ones hearing these lawsuits. And that just goes to show you why things like the Voting Rights Act are so important. Like Absolutely. you have to be able to stop discrimination before it actually occurs. Because in this day and age, it's going to be very hard to rectify after the fact. Yeah. I had a conversation with President Clinton about this issue. We were I was doing something for his uh, Clinton Global Initiative, and I got to talk to him backstage ahead of time. And it was great because I was there kind of early and we were sitting around for like 45 minutes and just, I was just shooting the shit with Bill Clinton, you know, and he was going into detail of a lot of these things. And of course he's brilliant, you know, and he, and from his point of view, these things that started off racist, like for him, they're more partisan than racist. So the racial part of his is assuming that the people of color are going to vote democratic, but the key part of that is democratic. Because if those people were voting Republican, they'd be closing those places in other, you know, the polls in other places, you know. So it's like a, <laughs> almost this like post-racial nastiness that, where the racial part of it is the assumption of how you're going to vote more than we don't want you voting at all, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's there's an intersection of race and party now yeah. where like Republicans know Democrats are getting the overwhelming number of votes yeah. from people of color, not just African-Americans, but right. Latinos, Asian-Americans, I and mean, other minorities have been so turned off by the Republican Party and particularly President Trump that they're, they're, uh, they're aligning with the Democratic Party. But, but I will say there is a sad fact throughout American history that the same people are always being targeted for disenfranchisement. Absolutely. It just, it, it, it's that the ball shifts as some of the motivation, you know. Like back when black people were voting uh, Republican, the Democrats were trying to disenfranchise. Them, exactly. Right. That's exactly like, right. No, you're and right. Then when, people don't and then know when it that. shifted yeah. and then when it shifted, you know, after after the civil rights movement, now they're the Republicans are trying to disenfranchise them when they vote Democrats. So not only were to, black people voting Republican, black Republicans were getting into office like in during Reconstruction and all that. And Democrats were like, no, 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 no. This is this is all got to change. Yeah, I mean, it's a really crazy history that in in states like Mississippi, there were actually black voter majorities, and there were black senators and black congresspeople from right. states like Mississippi, and they were violently overthrown by the Ku Klux Klan and white supremacists who were allied with the then Democratic Party, and basically. There was a coup in this country uh, after Reconstruction against democracy and particularly against black voting rights. And th that condition existed uh, until the passage of the Voting Rights Act. And I think a lot of people still don't know this history in our country. They don't. And it's really, really critically important. Like we only teach the part about the Civil War. We don't teach the part about what happened after that. And Republicans, you know, proudly claim having Lincoln, which they should. But they never say anything about their silence during that period of Reconstruction, where they felt, well, we've done enough for Black people, you know, we don't have to go this, we don't have to do all this. But there was silence from the Republican Party and just let all of that stuff happen. You know, and I'm blaming both sides on that. But um, I want to get back to what's going on now, too, because Florida, uh, there's a lot of things happening in Florida in this area as well, right? Yeah, and it, it, that actually goes back to some of the history we were talking about, that Florida had this law forever that basically said people with past felony convictions can't vote. Right, and like, the whole felony that, conviction thing. And now, that was that a national all. thing or is that a state, a state thing? It's a state-by-state state thing. Okay. Basically, the Supreme Court said you theoretically can prevent people with okay. past felony convictions from voting, but it's up to the states to decide. Up to the states, okay. So most states give you the right to vote back after you serve their time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes sometimes you automatically get it back, sometimes you have to uh sometimes you have to finish probation, sometimes you have to finish parole. But okay. Florida was one of the only states that basically said even after you've served your time, you still can't vote. It's basically like you're disenfranchised for life if you've committed a felony even after you've served your time. And so And they made no distinction as to the type of felony too, like it didn't matter if no. it was a violent crime or you didn't pay your taxes or whatever. Didn't matter. You could go before the governor and try to get your rights restored, but very, very few people were successful in doing that. So then in 2018, 64% of Florida voters decided to overturn that law. 
and say that people with past felony convictions, except for some who were committed who committed some violent crimes, mm-hmm. would be able to vote again. And this was huge because Florida disenfranchised over a million people because of this felon disenfranchisement law. Um, one in ten Floridians, including one in five African Americans, couldn't vote in Florida. The, there, there was a slogan that said. Um, come on vacation, end up on probation was like an unofficial slogan for Florida because they just arrested people for so many ridiculous offenses. And so this was a huge deal. Like suddenly it seemed like 10% of the state was going to be able to get their voting rights back, including 20% of African-Americans, which is a Mm -hmm. huge number of people in a state that was decided by 537 votes in 2000. Then what the Florida legislature did is they said, that's not enough. You have to pay off all fines, fees, and restitution to be able to get your voting rights back. And the way that Florida's criminal justice system works is basically it it pays for itself by these insane fines and fees that are put on people's sentences. So like routinely people owe thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in fines or fees and restitution that they're never going to be able to pay off. Right. It's like a poll tax, right? Exactly. It's like a poll tax. And so this was challenged before the courts. And uh, last month, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, which now has five people who are nominated by Donald Trump on it. So they have a majority of Trump judges on this circuit. They upheld this law, which, as you said, is basically a poll tax because it conditions the right to vote on how much money you have and whether you're able to pay your sentence off. Right, which sounds unconstitutional. But not only that, Florida has no system for finding out how much money you owe on your sentence. Like there's nowhere you can go. There's no centralized database that you can find out, even if you can't afford it, how much you owe. So it's kind of like a poll tax meets a literacy test because you have to pay to vote, but you can't actually figure out how much you owe to be able to pay that off. And it's all it's all made up crap. There's nothing that says, you know, you have the right to vote as an American unless you owe money on such and such. Like that's not written anywhere, you know. It's not written anywhere, and it's 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 totally crazy that you can get away with that. And I think any fair court would not have allowed it. Um, but now you see the impact of Trump appointing all these judges, not just on the Supreme Court, but on the lower courts. So there was a study during the trial that 775,000 people still owe outstanding fines, fees, and restitution wow. and might not be able to vote in this election. And the registration date in Florida is October 5th. So if these fines and fees are not paid off by October 5th, which theoretically most people are going to be listening to this podcast after that, um, they're not going to be able to vote in this election. Yeah, and so you're fine. talking about hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people not being able to vote in a state that was decided by 537 votes in 2000. I mean, it's a really, really shameful of example of the way voter suppression works today. To considering how many criminals actually run that state, you know, <laughs> like just the the hypocrisy. I mean, all, Rick know. Scott, who is the senator from Florida, was con- was sued for the largest Medicare fraud in state history. He's a senator from the state, but all these people that were locked up for pot or like minor things, right. and got some ridiculous fine and fee attached to it, they might not be able to vote. And so it's totally unequal justice. Um, Then you might have heard that Mike Bloomberg had a campaign to try to pay off some of these fines and fees. Bloomberg basically said, no, Bloomberg was basically said, uh, after this decision, I'm going to pay to risk to to pay off 30,000 people's fines and fees um, who are disproportionately black and Hispanic so they can vote. Then the attorney general of Florida said he was going to investigate Bloomberg for trying to do this. So like the, even when people try to pay off and like abide by the quote unquote letter of the law, then they're investigated for doing so. So I mean, if you kind of want to understand the Trump presidency in a microcosm, like you could just look at what's happening in Florida to try to see what's going on. They, I remember covering this a couple of years ago. I don't remember if it was Florida or another Southern state where the, the black churches had that souls to the polls thing. And I remember they cut it out. This was like a few years ago where they didn't allow them to do that. And to me, that was so cynical because it was directly just targeting uh, black churches, you know, of all places. 
Yeah, so that Florida did that in 2012, and there were like seven-hour lines. No, but yeah. there was another state that did it, which is North Carolina, which is what oh, I think okay. they're thinking of. Maybe that's so what it was. Yeah. North Carolina did that. So um, a month after the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act, they like completely rewrote their election laws. And one of the things they did was eliminate Sunday voting for early voting, which, as you said, that's when black churches do souls to the polls mobilization drives. So right. there was this big trial over it. And the, the federal court asked the state of North Carolina— um, why did you uh, eliminate Sunday voting? Mm-hmm. And the state of North Carolina said, well, some people were using it more than others. God, and black so, people. The, so, <laughs> Those the, are the people the, that were using it more than others. Black so the, people. The, the, exactly. So the court asked, then asked the follow-up question, well, like you said, who was using it more than others? And North Carolina Republicans actually said in court, counties that were disproportionately Democratic and disproportionately African-American we're using Sunday voting more than others. So therefore and, we shouldn't have it? Exactly. And wow. the court the court called this as close to a smoking gun as you'll ever see in modern times. Acknowledging that this is the way voter suppression works right now. Right. You don't just outright ban people from voting mm-hmm. unless you're in Florida. You you do like more subtle things. You say, I'm gonna eliminate Sunday voting. And then people say, but what's the big deal? And it's only when you understand that, well, hey, this is a huge day for African-Americans to vote. Right. And it's really successful in getting them to the polls that you understand this is the impact of voter suppression. So you have to kind of a lot of times dig one level deeper to understand the impact. But when you understand the impact, you understand not just how partisan it is, but how racist it is as well. Absolutely. What is what is going to be? And I appreciate you spending time with me on Saturday here. All right. But before I go, I want to know what what is going to be the biggest obstacle in our COVID environment for people out there? And also, if you could talk to maybe what are some of the things people should look out for or ways they can just make sure that they have confidence that their vote's going to be counted? I think the biggest obstacle right now, I mean, other than the insane disinformation coming from the president and all the voter suppression laws that he's pushing, it's just the uncertainty of the process that so many states are doing vote by mail in much larger numbers than they've ever done. And will they be able to handle it? Like, will voters get ballots they requested? Will those ballots be counted? How long will it take to count them? Like, these were all issues in the primaries, that could be magnified greatly when a lot more people are voting in November. So like, we don't know how mail voting is gonna go, for example, in Pennsylvania, where Mm -hmm. only 4% of people voted by mail in 2018. Like, so to go from 4% voting by mail to like 50% voting by mail is a giant thing um, to have to deal with, with basically no test run other than the primaries. And then we also don't totally know how in-person voting is going to go, the traditional way that most people vote, because it's harder to find poll workers. It's harder to open polling places in a pandemic. Election officials get sick. So like in Georgia and Wisconsin, we saw like five, six hour lines at polling places. So like, that's another concern. Like if mail voting doesn't work well, is in-person voting, which is the only alternative, going to work well? And like, I'm hopeful it will, but like there's uncertainty in the process. So like, I think the best thing the average voter can do is just try to vote as early as possible. Okay. Because if you have any issues voting, it's a Mm. lot easier to solve it 30 days before the election than three days before the election or on election day. Mm -hmm. And like the sooner your ballot gets in there, that's one less thing that election officials have to worry about. Like if, if everyone's trying to vote by mail a week before the election, the post office is trying to deliver ballots a week before the election, election officials are trying to send them out a week before the election that's when you start getting really nervous. Like, mm-hmm. is is this system going to be able to handle it? If people vote by mail two or three weeks before the election, they should be fine. Same with in-person voting. Like, if everyone shows up and tries to vote on election day, there's going to be really, really long lines. Mm-hmm. But if, like, people vote throughout all the days of early voting, and, like, some states, like Virginia, has 45 days of early voting. But even, mm-hmm. like, most states that have early voting have at least 10 days or two weeks of early voting. Yeah. Like then you can then you can start to basically flatten the curve for the voting process. And so like I think if people are just as proactive as possible in exercising their right to vote, the election should go smoothly. Uh, but the closer it is and the longer people wait, the more concerned I am about it and the more the the easier it will be 
for Republicans to try to weaponize any uncertainty or problems to their advantage. Or do you think we are more likely to not have a result like in the first week than less likely? Yeah, much more mm-hmm. likely. I mean, so people should be people should really get psychologically and emotionally ready for that, I think, you know, because there's going to be a lot of mood swings during that week uh, or however long it takes a few days. And I mean, I'm I'm a little bit scared for that for that whole week of what's going to happen. I think we really need to prepare people for it. And I mean, we're already getting close to people are already voting. So like we should already be talking about this now that there's a very good chance that the election is close we're not going to know who wins and and really and also let people know if Trump prematurely tries to claim victory he has no power to actually do that like he does not control the counting of ballots like one of my pet peeves about Trump is that like yes he's going to try to do all sorts of horrible anti-democratic shit yeah but like he also is kind of incompetent half the time in trying to do that but mm-hmm. not only that like don't give him more power than he actually has like Vote counting happens at the state and local level. And mm-hmm. for sure, Republicans that are allied with him in these states might try to screw around with the counting of ballots. Absolutely. But like, they're the ones that have to do it, not Trump. So like, pay attention to the right people. Like, if you're if you're worried about the counting of ballots, pay attention to what Republican secretaries of state and Republican state legislatures, right, and local right. Republican election officials are doing, not really to what Trump is saying, because they're the ones that have more of an impact on counting ballots. But like, Good. if you just look at the, the law itself, courts have said, like in states like Wisconsin and in Michigan and Pennsylvania, ballots that are postmarked by election day can be received after for some period of time. So like, they're, they're, they're not just going to be counting- by that time. Right. Exactly. They're not just going to be counting votes. They're going to be receiving votes oh, after the man. election. Yeah. So like, it's much more important to get this right than to do it quickly. Yeah, that's and, why a big victory is important because- in a narrow victory, you have to wait on those votes. But with the larger margin, you know that, like, if someone's winning by 10,000 votes, if only 2,000 votes are outstanding, you know there's no way the other person can make up the ground. So, and that's how they're able to call things when votes are still out there, right? Yeah. I and mean, it's kind of ridiculous to think that you have to win by an overwhelming margin. Like, if it, it was the Super Bowl and they said to, like, I the know. Kansas City Chiefs, you have <laughs> to win by two touchdowns. Or, or Sorry, not, it doesn't count. We're not going to let you kick a field goal and win exactly. this thing. Um, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's just an insane uh. double standard that this is what Joe Biden has to deal with. But I, yeah. I also think it's true that there are going to be some states in which we probably will know. Yeah. who won the election have a pretty good idea on election night. And so mm-hmm. if it's clear that Biden is winning states that were considered toss-up states, for example, he's yeah. almost certainly going to be winning Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin when the votes are counted a week later. But yeah. even if, but the point is, even if he isn't winning those states, like let's say even if Trump wins Florida, and we know that on election night, mm-hmm. we still have to wait for the counting in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania to decide the election. Exactly. Like we exactly. can't call it based on what we extrapolate from a few states. Like we have yeah. vote counting for a reason. So I, I think the media is trying to to inform people of this, but I think they need to do a much better job, particularly cable news, yeah. of trying to walk their viewers through the process and really explain it to people. And I think local election officials are going to have to be front and center on election night explaining yeah. this and really breaking it down for people. Like, you know, like the big boards that we have of like John King and Steve Kornacki and those guys, like they're yeah. going to have to tell people, this is exactly the percentage of votes that have been counted. These are where the outstanding votes are. Right. This is how much we know. And that, and like, and we might not know the rest of that for two, three, four days a week. Um, and that's yeah. just how it's going to be. Yeah. I think we're just going to have to prepare for it. I mean, in 2000, we didn't know till December, you know, I think it was that first week of December when uh, Bush was, it was finalized that he was going to be president. That was like a month, you know? Um, yeah, I think that Bush v. Gore, I think was December 12th. Yeah. Um, or, or something like that. So that was like five yeah, I mean, weeks. I'm, yeah. I mean, people are, people are, are doing all sorts of insane nightmare scenario war gaming now of what if it, what if the state legislators appoint their own electors and nullify that the I'm popular gonna try, vote or I'm going to hope does not happen because then we yeah. have, we have revolution in the streets if that kind of thing happens. Yeah. Or what if it goes to the Congress, like it did in 1876 and then they have to decide it. I mean, or, or whether, what if it goes to the Supreme court again, like Bush v. Gore? I mean, those are the, those are all the scenarios that keep people like me up at night. But that yeah. only happens if it's very, very, very close. That doesn't sure. happen if it's a if it's a reasonable 
landslide, yeah. then I don't think any of those scenarios will co- probably come into play. Yeah. And to be fair, that one, not to relitigate it, they were just saying, stop counting <laughs> that one, like that, as opposed to, you know, the way it's been talked about, you know. It was like, enough is enough. Let's just stop counting. If if Gore had been up in at least one of those counts, it, I think it would have been, it would have made more of a difference, you know, unfortunately. Uh, it didn't work out like that. Yeah, and I mean, the, I think the difference also is Bush v. Gore just totally surprised everyone. Like, it came yeah. out of nowhere. Like, nobody nowhere. knew any no of this No one suspected Trump, that, yeah. Trump has, has basically said, I'm counting on Bush v. Gore or yes. something like that. To, to, so people are really like on alert. Like the Democrats aren't going to be taken su- by surprise by this. And Trump like has said months. He's told people it could take months to figure this out. Months, he's saying. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that Republicans definitely would like to help Trump steal the election. But I think Trump's words are making it harder for them to actually do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It gets in the way of his own coup, which is great. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much. It's a good place to end. Uh, senior reporter, Mother Jones, uh, Ari Berman, so much information. Stay on your toes. Get out there. Drop your votes off early, guys. Make sure you're registered, all that stuff. And uh, let's uh, try to be calm during that week. Uh, good luck to you, um, Ari, out there. I'm sure I'll... I'll read more of your stuff on the way into this election. Thanks so much, Larry. It was great to talk to you. Thanks. Ari Berman, you guys. 